Well, welcome to this week's Favourites podcast. Um, lovely to be with you again. And uh, just to give you a heads up on what, what's coming up um, over the next uh, few weeks. Um, uh, first of all, today's podcast is going to be looking at the topic of church discipline. Uh, then uh, next week, um, we're going to be talking about the uh, Ukrainian refugee crisis. And we're going to be talking f- with um, Sue uh, from uh, Welcome Churches. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, both how we as individuals and churches can be involved in welcoming Ukrainians. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the wider challenges of how we respond to uh, the needs of refugees, of asylum seekers, uh, and also in terms of whether or not we should be getting involved in challenging uh, government policy on those kinds of things. Uh, so I'm going to be recording that on Friday, and that will probably come out over uh, the weekend. The other thing that uh, we've got coming up is uh, we're heading into uh, Holy Week leading up to Easter, and I'm planning to do daily doses over the next uh, week or two, uh, starting from next Monday, and we'll be completing our look at John's Gospel. Lots of things, of course, up on uh, the blog. I've got some articles about church planting uh, coming up, uh, more on the cost of living crisis as, as well. So have a look at them as, as well. Uh, and just to mention, uh, one of the things I try to provide from time to time is is teaching guys, just uh, introductions to books of the Bible and some guidance, some thoughts on how to approach teaching and preaching on those in, in your churches. I've just produced one on Mark's Gospel, uh, the church that we are part of, Church Central uh, North, are about to start a, a teaching series on, on Mark. And uh, I think there's a, a number of people from the church family going to be involved in preaching and teaching. So it seemed like a good time to to put something together on that. Uh, alongside that, I'm also going to uh, try and provide some more detailed uh, discussion and studies um, in blog articles um, through May and June around around that. We'll be continuing the weekly podcast. If there are particular topics you'd like us to look at, do uh, please get in touch and make your suggestions. If there's people you'd like to interview, uh, if you think that it'd be interesting for me to have a conversation with you, get in touch about that as well. Um, And as well as picking up on specific one-off topics and contemporary issues, uh, one of the things I'm planning to do Uh, hopefully when we get into the summer, is start to uh, go back through some of the the kind of the foundational doctrine stuff that we go through as part of Faith Fruits. Um, How do we know who is God? Where do we come from? Uh, And so I'm going to be revisiting some of those things and, and sharing that material in podcast format for those that prefer to listen rather than to read. And those will be available both uh, to listen to on the podcast and to watch on YouTube as, as well. That's that's the plan coming up. Watch out for uh, more details on those. Uh, but as I said, I wanted to talk today about church discipline. It's an important uh, part of how we look after the church. If you're involved in church leadership, if you're a pastor or an elder or one of the other leaders, a woman's leader, 
your worker, whatever it is within the life of the church, it's important to think about how we disciple people well, how we protect and guard the church well too. Uh, but it's important for all of us, if we're part of a church, to understand uh, these things. And so one of the things I want to do on the podcast is to talk about aspects of uh, what we sometimes call church polity or how churches function, how they uh, organised, how they relate to other churches. And, and this is going to be one of those. Uh, one of the prompts for this uh, was that you may have uh, seen a, a case hit the, the Christian news over the past few weeks. Um, I, I've mentioned it on the blog. Uh, the case is... Uh, one concerning Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, the church where John MacArthur has been pastor for for many years. And uh, as I said on the blog, um, you know John MacArthur is, I, I guess, he's a divisive figure. Uh, there's a lot of people that really struggle with him, and I think reasons people have struggled with him has been uh, his very trenchant views on the charismatic movement. Um, also, how he engaged with uh, the authorities through uh, through COVID, not not so much his disagreement with the authorities. I think people would expect the right of pastors to, to disagree. But uh, that sense that church leaders who chose to cooperate with COVID measures were, con were condemned as, as effectively as compromising the faith. And there was a feeling of harshness there. So there's been some negative reactions to John MacArthur. Um, and I react negatively to some of those things as well. I've talked about them on the blog. Uh, there have been positive things about his ministry. He's been the pastor. You know, he's been there seeking to expand God's word week in, week out for many years. Um, I, I think he has had some important things to say against Easy believism, the idea that you can just call Jesus your saviour without submitting to him as Lord. He's, he's challenged that. He said that isn't really grace, it's just cheap religion. But the case that came up is, is this. Uh, back in 2001, uh, a member of the church, Eileen Day, um, uh, uh, she was um, uh, disciplined. Uh, by that, what I mean is that she was removed from church membership, Eileen Gray, and uh, she um, was excluded, barred from participating in communion. because the elders had decided that she should be disciplined. Uh, and the reasons given for the discipline was that she was refusing to obey the elders and be reconciled and follow their process for reconciliation to her husband. Her husband, David Gray, uh, was involved in teaching ministry in the church and uh, they had uh, gone to the elders for help with their marriage, with issues that they had. Now, what we know, looking from the outside now, 
is that David Gray was a child abuser, that he was physically and sexually abusing his children. That, that's not just an allegation, that's not just a, a rumour. Uh, the man was arrested, put on trial, convicted, sentenced to many years in jail. And when he attempted to appeal the decision, he lost his appeal. Now, there are, from time to time, miscarriages of, of justice, but there's, there's no evidence to suggest that that's what's happened here. As so the immediate headlines have been uh, to the effect of look at this case, isn't it terrible that this woman was um, disciplined for refusing to live with a child abuser. Now there's, there's a little area where we need to be careful on this. The realisation that there was child abuse, sexual child abuse involved, came later, after the event of the excommunication of the church discipline. But, and this is important, at the time of church discipline, it was known that Eileen Gray had expressed serious concerns about her husband's uh, treatment of the family that he was physically abusive and that while she had not gone as far at that stage of getting the police involved she had taken out court orders to basically restrain her husband and to give her protection from him and that's the context in which the church discipline happened now, I've argued on the blog that that was an abuse of church discipline, that that is not how we should use church discipline. It's a terrible aberration, to be honest. That we shouldn't use church discipline uh, to control people. We shouldn't use church discipline to uh, basically further harm a victim. And there's any question that somebody is a victim here that we shouldn't use church discipline to try and overturn or challenge the decisions of criminal courts uh, and what was most concerning of all to me was that uh, when john MacArthur read out the statement in his church about this discipline that he specifically said that the aim was to shame eileen gray And I would say to you today that that should never be the purpose of church discipline. But I wanted to talk about this issue as well, because whilst uh, for a lot of us, there's that immediate reaction of this was a terrible way to treat somebody who was a victim of abuse. Uh, for quite a few of us as well, even that concept of church discipline might be something that we uh, we just find really hard to get our heads around. 
In fact, some people have suggested that even to take church discipline, even without the circumstances as described, was itself a form of abuse. And so I thought it would be helpful today to talk about what the Bible actually says about this. Because whilst this phrase can feel harsh, that word discipline, it sounds harsh and sounds like punishment, doesn't it? And whilst it can be used in an abusive way, actually there is something that the Bible does talk about that we need to look at here. Because what the Bible talks about here is intended for our good, intended to be loving and restorative and healing and protective. So that's why we're going to have a look at it today. So um, what I want to do is to pick up on uh, some scripture, some Bible verses that, that are related to this, this topic, just to talk us through it. Uh, and the first one is Hebrews 12 verse 5. Um, which in fact is a quote from Proverbs. So let's have a look at that. So Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, Have you forgotten the exaltation that addresses you as sons? I'm reading from the ESV here and other versions I think would rightly, just to give the uh, inclusiveness of it, this here, talk about sons and daughters that addresses you as sons and daughters. My son, my son and my daughter, my children, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. My child, do not regard lightly or do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't get weary when he reproves, rebukes, challenges, disciplines you. And the context there is about following Christ, even when it's painful, even when it involves suffering. What the writer to the Hebrews says is don't despise those times don't belittle them don't treat them as a matter of regret that when you experience tough times see it as god acting to discipline you so here's the first thing Discipline, we talk, uh, we, we use that phrase church discipline, but in fact, discipline is something that God does. It's something that God does. And he does it as a loving father. And, and there's the imagery there that a parent who really cares about their children, doesn't want them to get into harm's way and wants them to grow up well, uh, to grow uh, healthy and strong in mind and body and soul will discipline them. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate about how you should discipline your child. I'm aware that there's some hot topics around at the moment and uh, 
uh, you know, some of us uh, grew up and, um, and uh, that discipline would have included uh, a smack. Something that I'm personally not so keen on now. I'm aware that others disagree on that and I'm aware as well that in some countries, some places, like Wales and Scotland now, it is uh, going into law that it's illegal to use corporal physical punishment, uh, a smack, that kind of thing. And I think that's arisen out of problems with abusive punishment. Uh, but however you think about it, uh, discipline might be involved in um, getting your child to go to the naughty corner or uh, removing privileges, uh, being grounded, uh, simply uh, being required to go and make an apology or, or make amends in, in other ways, having their pocket money docked, however you choose to do it. But there's the first thing that you will use discipline to correct because you care about your child, because you love them. And in fact, it goes back a bit further than that, doesn't it? Because when we think about discipline, we also think about its use in other contexts, the discipline of training, the, the discipline of, uh, of physical training, physical preparation for sports, the athlete, the footballer, uh, the swimmer, uh, they discipline themselves in order to get fit. Uh, you and I, if we've been on diets, we've had to exercise discipline. And anybody who's involved in studying will discipline their, their minds, linked in there to discipleship. So discipline is a word that we often connect immediately and quickly with punishment, but actually it's about teaching and correcting. It's about growth. And it's something that is meant to be loving. It's God's discipline. Because he loves. And actually all of us at any time are experiencing discipline. And, and I think that's the issue there, that we've narrowed down this word discipline in church life to speak specifically about somebody being excommunicated from a church. That sort of end point, that reactive decision. Really the decision that's made when everything has failed, actually when it looks like things have not worked and we're at the end of the road. But in fact, properly speaking, discipline starts right from the beginning and is meant to be proactive. So discipline is first and foremost about discipleship and pastoral care. It's about leaders in the church and the church family together seeking to have an input into one another's lives, uh, to encourage growth in Christ, uh, to encourage one another to say no to sin and yes, to godliness and so day to day 
discipline should first of all be happening through the public teaching of God's word and then through individual conversations as we encourage, remind, challenge and even rebuke one another. So there's the first scripture. But the reality is that whilst we want to be proactive like that, there are times when things go wrong. There's, there are times when somebody backslides and gets involved in a sin that is serious and persists in it. What do we do then when that is happening in the church? But what do you do when somebody is found to be involved in sexual immorality, when somebody's committed adultery? What do you do, not about the abuse victim, but about the abuser? What do you do when somebody is stealing from the church? What do you do when somebody is persisting in teaching errors, sharing heresy? What do you do with the person who is seeking to divide and split the church? What do you do with the person who is always gossiping and slandering? Uh, and scripture talks about that as well. Now I want to pick up one uh, scripture that is often used in that context, although actually it's not about that context. And I want to show us how it may give us some help. But we've got to be careful with this one because this scripture is not actually first and foremost about church discipline in those situations. I'm talking here about Matthew 18. So Matthew 18 verse 15 to 17 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Why might it be unhelpful to go immediately to this text when trying to think through the question of church discipline? Well, I think it can be unhelpful because people have taken this Bible passage and said, this is the process to follow, a step-by-step -step process. When somebody is in sin, in order to lead to that point where there is excommunication. That by excommunication, what I am referring to is when somebody is removed from the church membership and treated as no longer part of the church, in fact, treated as an unbeliever. And this isn't quite the right place to start for that, because that's not really what the Bible passage is dealing with here. Matthew 18, the, the bigger context is about forgiveness. 
Uh, and what you see here is a situation where uh, two Christians are falling out. Two brothers fall out. What does Jesus say that you're to do in that situation? By the way, as well, remember that Jesus speaks here uh, before the foundation of the church. So we can over translate it as well here that when we see the word church, actually simply it's the assembly. Take it to the, the public place, which later would, of course, be the church. Uh, but, uh, Jesus's immediate audience would have been fellow Jews and a, a brother or sister there would have been another fellow Jew. But the point is this. The issue here is not that somebody has been found to be adulterous or involved in false teaching or that kind of thing. The issue is that two people have fallen out. One has done something that has hurt or offended the other. And it might be very serious or it might be quite trivial. And what does Jesus say? Uh, basically, Jesus says, get it sorted out. Uh, because the aim is forgiveness and reconciliation. Don't, don't leave it. Go and see the other person. And uh, I, I guess you could have a sort of a, a discussion about who needs to prioritise this. Uh, Jesus seems to put the priority on the one who has been sinned against that if you feel hurt, if you think they've done something wrong to you, don't sit and seethe. Don't get bitter about it. Don't go and grumble about them to other people. That's getting you into gossip. And that's what, what happens a lot, isn't it? That, uh, that the person who has been wronged or thinks they've been wronged goes and complains to everyone except the person they've got an issue with. That person may be oblivious even to the, the fact that they've caused offence. But Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, go and sort it out with the person you've got a problem with, with the aim that there will be reconciliation, repentance, forgiveness. Or, or if there's been a misunderstanding, presumably you get that sorted out as well. Uh, and the aim is that it gets sorted out at that point. If it isn't, only then go to other people. And notice Jesus says, get a couple of witnesses. That's the legal requirement for determining truth. So don't go out and tell lots of people immediately. Just a couple of witnesses to come and be there when you talk to the person a second time so that they can witness the conversation so if necessary they can adjudicate and so they they can confirm that you've made every effort to put things right but two or three and only then if there's a problem if there's still resistance that you take it to the church allow the whole church membership to hear the dispute. What is going on here? I think there's a basic principle about how we 
deal with issues between us. But the aim is that you keep the issue to the smallest number of people possible. If somebody has hurt you, don't go telling everybody about it. Get it sorted out with them. And I think that's a principle rather than a legalistic process. So, for example, if you're nervous and anxious and you're worried about how the other person would react, I, I, I don't think there's anything that says you can't say to someone, could you come along with me the first time I go to talk to the person? Because the aim is that you get things sorted and the aim is that you keep it to the minimal number of people possible, uh, not that you follow an arbitrary process. Uh, the aim is that because I see how trivial the issue is in comparison to the greatness of the gospel and being part of God's family, that I will want to settle it early. That I will seek to avoid a situation where we have to make it more and more public and involve more and more people. Who wants to be settling their disputes in front of the whole church family? Do I really want to be the person that invites all 70, 80 church members along to a special members meeting? Uh, as I was really offended that really nasty joke that Kev told about Bradford City supporters. No wonder. If I'm genuinely offended, genuinely hurt, I want to get it sorted out quickly. And actually with minimum fuss. Because what I don't want to do is to be causing shame. I want to be seeking reconciliation. There is a good principle there, a principle of trying to get things sorted out with the minimal number of people uh, to keep things in perspective and proportionate. But in fact, the church discipline element only kicks in really at that last stage in terms of reactive discipline and excommunication. This is not a process where the aim is to go through steps to get somebody excommunicated. Rather, it is uh, some advice about how to get reconciliation. Uh, but when somebody is refusing to be reconciled and basically rebelling and rejecting what the church has to say, then church discipline kicks in uh, because it is now public and persistent sin because other people know and because there's no repentance and because in effect what they've said is well, I, I don't really care about the church I'm not prepared to listen to I'm not prepared to be challenged by my other brothers so what is the point what is the good of them being part of the church So what, Jesus, what does Jesus tell us to do at that stage? Well, he says, treat them like an unbeliever. Treat them like a pagan. 
And there's an important question there. How would you treat an unbeliever? Would you shun them? Would you refuse all friendship and love and care to them? Would you stop them from hearing the gospel? No, actually, what you would want to do, in effect, is to press the reset button and to say, we start again, we treat this person as someone who has no knowledge or experience of the gospel. But our aim is to bring them back to the gospel. And that's what the primary Bible passage that deals with uh, church discipline is all about. Because... The Bible passage that does deal with a situation where there's been public, persistent, unrepentant sin is not Matthew 18, but 1 Corinthians 5. So let's have a look at uh, that and see what it, it has to say. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and uh, verses 1 to 5. This is Paul writing and he says it's it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant are you not rather to mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you for though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So what's happened here? Well, uh, there's a, a family and there's a man who's committing adultery uh, a form of incest here uh, because he is sleeping with his dad's wife probably not his own mom probably a second wife in a polygamous relationship or in a, in a situation where dad has remarried but all the same the old testament is very clear that those family relationships are out of bounds so there's a shamefulness to this additional to the shame of adultery and the pagan society around would consider this shameful because he's dishonoring he's attacking his father he's doing something pretty disgusting and paul says that's happened in the church at corinth and look at your arrogance you should be you should be ashamed that this has happened it should be bit of a sense of embarrassment this is not the sort of thing that you expect to be going on in church but instead you're going around saying look at us look at our freedom look at our willingness to tolerate all sorts of things look at how gracious and loving and forgiving we're being and Paul says that's not right this isn't real forgiveness this is easy believism this is just refusing to confront sin and it's leaving everybody in danger uh, the sense here is that the man himself is in danger because he is in sin, because he's in rebellion against God. And later he will say that there's a danger to the church because this sin, it's like a, a yeast, it's like a contaminant, it's like something that will spread through and 
contaminate, influence the whole church. Uh, that the reputation of the whole church will be affected. Uh, that if sin is not dealt with, then this will teach others to fall into sin as well. And, and I think as well that when we see someone willing to sin against others in this kind of way, that the failure to step in now also fails to protect others that might be vulnerable where this person could be abusive towards them. So what does Paul say? Paul says, I bring judgment here. And, and if Paul is speaking as a, an apostle here, the point is less that there's this external person acting in authority over the church and more that God's word that scripture <coughs> condemns this that's that's effectively what Paul's role is here in that sense when we gather as church family with God's word open then Paul the spirit of Paul is present through scripture but he says this is something that you need to take seriously and act on as a church Notice that it isn't left to the leaders of the church. This isn't just for the elders to do, that this is something for the church to do. Uh, the last church that we were at, where I was the uh, one of the, the elders and the pastor, um, we had a formal church membership. So you joined the church as a member. Uh, we did ask people to sign forms, but we just asked them to commit to being part of the church they were interviewed by the elders to make sure they had a clear testimony we checked with other churches to make sure there weren't any outstanding issues and they, they joined the committed to being part of us that also meant that in terms of the way that our church worked they were involved in decision making in the church and so the the members would come together regularly to look at big issues in the life of the church pray and talk together where we had a serious issue like this we actually went to the church members and said we need you to make a decision that this person is being removed from the membership of the church something done together uh, why is it done together well it's done uh, because this is serious is public and it is dangerous to the church and so paul talks about the person being handed over to satan i think that's another way of saying treated like an unbeliever that it's recognized that they're they're not within the 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 governance the framework the life of the church but they've placed it that placed themselves under satan's authority outside of god's kingdom we don't act as though they know jesus we act as though they don't and the aim here is for the protection of the church so that sin won't spread but also the restoration of the person the aim is that they will come to their senses that they would repent and that they would be able to rejoin the life of the church fully committed to jesus christ 
And that's really what church discipline is about. Hitting that reset button, treating somebody as though we're going back to the first principles of the gospel with them. And that means that we have to think carefully about how we relate to them. As I said, my our last church had a more formal membership than actually our, our current church has less of that kind of thing. But there's still an understanding of belonging and being part of the church. And whether or not you have a formal membership, whether or not you keep that as a, a list, a record, whether or not you ask people to sign forms or stand up and make a pledge in the church service. There'll always be that sense of this is the church family, this is who belongs. And when somebody is in public sin, you will need to find a way to signal that that means that the church removes them. Why? Well, so long as somebody relies on the fact that the church accepts what they're doing, as long as that's happening, effectively you're giving them false assurance that they can assume that because they're part of the church and the church seems to be okay with them, that they have nothing to worry about. But persistent sin, persistent rebellion, raises questions according to the Bible about whether or not someone truly belongs to Christ, whether or not their life has really changed. And so our aim is to remove any sense of false assurance so that they must come back to the gospel to ask, have I really trusted in Christ? Now, practically, what would that mean? Well, I would suggest that first of all, you would say to them, when we share communion together, we ask you to refrain from participating because this is the family meal and this is another means of grace, another means of assurance. We don't want you to be getting a false assurance that because you eat the bread and drink the wine that you're okay. In fact, we'd encourage you to use that point to stop and reflect. We'd love to see you come to repentance. It will mean that somebody in this state of church discipline um, shouldn't be involved uh, in ministry. But actually there's a halt on them using their gifts. So they shouldn't be involved in music or teaching the children or welcoming or running a club in the week that they need to stand back from that. And if you're a church where the congregation, where the members are involved in decision making, then they would not participate in those decision making meetings. It'd be like having the whip withdrawn when you are a member of a political party in Parliament, I guess. But the point is that they no longer can claim false assurance for themselves, nor can they be seen either by younger, newer church members who might be vulnerable to false teaching and poor example, or by the world outside as representing, as speaking for the church. There's clarity there. 
And so this is how it works both for the protection of the church, the protection of the gospel and the restoration of the person involved. And now my, my view is that you would encourage them to keep attending church. You would seek to find ways to still meet with them. But it's important that they are treated differently. That there is a loving firmness to this. It would also mean that if they did choose to leave and go to another church, then rightly speaking, properly speaking, biblically speaking, lovingly speaking, if the leaders of that church care for this person, care for the wider church and care for their own church family, then they will take time to check in with the leaders, the elders at your church to see if there are any issues and shouldn't then take somebody into membership when there are still things to be resolved at your church. So here's this church discipline and, and really what we're saying is God is persistently disciplining us. He's the one that disciplines, not, not us. It's something that's loving, it's something that's proactive. Uh, but there will be times when that discipline is through the church removing false assurances, false means of grace, with the aim of bringing that person back to the point where they cling to Christ and to him alone. Now, this is never easy, it's always hard, always painful, often leads to further complaints, further misunderstandings, further false accusation. Often with a lot of sadness, with no real hope that things are going to turn out okay. But at the same time, if we care about people, then we will care enough to act. And the ways I put this is, that I would be willing to exclude somebody temporarily now if it gave them a fighting chance of not being excluded permanently on the day of resurrection. I hope that's been helpful. Uh, love to get feedback. You can do that on Facebook and Twitter or uh, send me uh, send me feedback through the, the contact page on, on Faith Fruits. Love to hear back from you for any questions or comments as well. Take care and we'll talk soon.